0: Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling.
1: Beautiful. All right. So welcome back to the Play Golf in College podcast. Uh, We're excited here to have Zach Zedrick with us today, the head men's golf coach at Miami University. Close friend of mine. I played for him and also coached with him. So we're going to get things started again. Zach, thanks for being with us today.
2: Brad and Mac, thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for having me.
1: Uh, It's a real treat to join you today absolutely. we're glad glad to have you. So let's start things off a little bit. Uh, we've we've done this with a few coaches now, but we just want to hear a little bit about your coaching philosophy uh, and how you work with players or um just in general, just your philosophy on coaching.
2: Yeah, so um, that's a great question. and and I think for me to to get to that point, I got to take a couple steps back and kind of start with, I think, any, any philosophy you have or any way of doing things that you have in anything in life, it it really goes back to, you know, what, what are your, what drives you, what motivates you, and then what do you believe? And, you know, ultimately um, there, it really comes down to just a few things that are, you know, kind of driving and motivating me as a coach. And the first is just the fact that golf has literally given me everything that I have in my life. I mean, literally everything. Um, I was very fortunate to um, have the opportunity to to get a little bit of scholarship money and play golf at Michigan State for um, the coach at the time, Mark Hankins, and uh, he he helped me get my start in coaching. He helped. helped uh, he was a he was a big advocate for me in getting my first uh, coaching job as a GA at the University of Toledo. And then uh, while I was while I was there. Um, you know, we didn't figure it out until after we graduated, but uh met my wife Amanda, who is a member of the women's team. And you know, we, we've got two beautiful children. Um, and you know, I'm still coaching. Um, so literally everything I have in my life, I owe to golf. So, you know, as far as what I believe, you know, one, I I just think you gotta do your best. Whatever it is, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're coming to Miami, um you know, the golf that should go without saying, I mean, we're a division one program. So ultimately there's two trophies that we're playing for, um, at the end of the year. And, um, but along with that, you know, we have high expectations for how you should perform in school. You know, not everyone is going to be a four point student, but we know where everyone's best is academically. And we're going to expect that out of them. Um, and obviously as a teammate, um, You know, the 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 way you handle your personal relationships, the way you handle your relationships with your teammate, that does affect um, that does affect our our performance. Um, And that that kind of um, circles into the next thing, which is, you know, relationships. Relationships are incredibly important to me. And ultimately, the guys have to trust me. I have to trust them and they have to trust each other. And that doesn't happen without really well-formed relationships. And it might be easy to go down the road and think that it's just trying to be buddy buddy, but it's like really understanding um, everyone at an individual level what what's motivating them to get better. And you know, I I, I coach everyone as a team, but you also have to coach everyone um, individually. So, and it's a lot of hey, let's go grab lunch, or let's go grab a cup of coffee, or let's come over. We're going to, we're going to grow up some steaks at my house tonight. And it's, it's, it's really getting the, to know the guys at a personal level so that when you do have those hard conversations and you're holding them to a high standard and you're holding them accountable, it's, it's not this transactional relationship, but you know, in the moment, you know, the guys might be, you know, someone might be a little upset, but as they get away from it, they realize, okay, coach, coach sees a lot in me and he's holding me to a high standard. And ultimately, you know. As time goes on, guys are thankful that they had someone in their life that really believed in them. And because they believed in them so much, it meant they, they held them to a high level um, of accountability. Um, the last thing, too, is that, you know, up until the, the day these guys graduate from college or the last tournament they play in college, if you think back and, and we're all parents now and, we've you know, we've grown up having had parents and now we all, all are parents you realize that up until that day you graduate from college, your alarm clock is set for you. Even right now, you know, today's an off day for us, but guys have class, you know, guys might be meeting with a professor or meeting with their academic coordinator, getting an extra workout in with their strength coach. So there is, you know, something externally that is um, making them set their alarm for a certain time. And it's, it's interesting how that day after you graduate, it completely flips. And for the rest of your life, your alarm clock is up to you. And that's a very awesome, but also a little bit of a scary thing to someone that for 22 years has kind of had a lot of things set up for them. So my job as a coach is to get them ready for that. And there are a lot of skill sets that are very applicable to getting better at golf that also translate into um, anything you do in life. So a lot of the things we do on a daily basis is really to get guys ready for that. Um, And then that really kind of trickles down into kind of how I work with my players. And um, it's really, you know, like I said, I, you know, I I coach the team and I, and I think golf, even though it's an individual game, it's a team sport in college. So you, you kind of have to respect both things. Um, But when we're talking about individual development, it's, it's helping guys understand that, they are going to need to develop a system for their own improvement. You know, I had the good fortune to work for Greer Jones at Wichita state for three and a half years. And he was a phenomenal player and he's been a phenomenal coach. You know, he, he was an NCAA champion individually. He was rookie of the year on the PGA tour, probably one of the best players in the world in the early seventies. And the thing he told me was that Zach, you know, there are a lot of differences among the guys that I played with and he, he, he can be dated back to have played and, and, Uh, Tour events with Ben Hogan up to, you know, probably the Watson Ballesteros era. So he's seen a lot of great players. He said there was a lot of differences. But the thing that was so common among all of these guys is they had a system. They knew what they did well, you know, weaknesses they needed to manage, they knew how they needed to practice, how they needed to allocate their time, they knew who they were as a player. And that's such an important thing is to own, you know, who you are as a player. So Um, a lot of what we do is really based around helping the guys to do that. And it's not nearly as much, um, fundamental or technical instruction as it is, you know, first and foremost, like, what do you see yourself accomplishing in college? Do you see yourself as an all American? Do you see yourself as a, as a, as someone that can win tournaments individually? And then, it you know, works all the way down to what are those habits you need to be doing on a, on a daily basis. And, um,
0: That's some great info, Coach. Um, I want to just touch on that a little bit. So, in regards to practice and somebody's individual development, talk to us um, in greater detail about your beliefs surrounding that and maybe give us some examples of how things have changed for your program over the years and what you guys are currently doing.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it goes like you got to start at a really high level. Like, what do you want to say for yourself as a player? Like, where do you see yourself accomplishing? And then you kind of work backwards from that. And you understand that, hey, if you're going to be an All-American level, perform- per- an All-American, there's a certain level of performance that coincides with that. Um, and, and, the, and, the t- and you guys all know this because you work, you know, Brad, you were a coach for a long time, and you both are working with middle and high school age players. Like, it's the same thing in college. It is, It it, it can be a real challenge to get someone to see past what is right in front of them. It's It's hard to get someone to understand that what they're doing on march 14th has an impact on what's going to happen uh not just in may of 2019 but may of 2020 and so it starts with it was really getting the guys to buy in and understand it that stringing all of this preparation together over an extended period of time so i you know i think there are some there's some commonalities among how guys get better but really it's it's you know, and I'm going back to coach Jones, he, he really believed that the two things that made you better were preparation and competition. So there's a really cool feedback loop in there where, Hey, let's, let's be very diligent about what we're doing today. Let's have a plan for, you know, Hey, I've got three hours. What can I get done in that three hours and be very like, it it can be very simple. I think simple is even better. Um, but also very, um, very well spelled out as far as what am I going to accomplish today? And you kind of monitor that over time. And then you have competition and that is your feedback for how, how has my preparation been going? And then you, you, you get guys to be very objective about, um, what did I do? Well, what can I do better? And then how can I tweak things going forward? And that constant preparation, competition, feedback loop, you do that over the course of four years and you, you help someone develop their system as far as like, what are the things that I need to do to get better? And, um, you know, it, it changes and it evolves over time. And, and like I said earlier, there's so little of what we do as college coaches that is based on instruction. You know, there are so many improvements that need to be made and how they organize their time, how they develop practice plans, how they put pressure on themselves in practice. I think that's a big thing. I think oftentimes junior players, even college players have it flipped. They work to get comfortable in practice. And then they go to a tournament and it's a very uncomfortable environment and you freak out and you don't perform well. And I'm a big believer that we've got to really put appropriate pressure on our guys at home so they learn how to deal with it. It's really hard to, you know, perfectly mimic the pressure of winning your conference championship. But you can put guys in, in situations where they're really feeling the heat and they've got to perform well for themselves and they've got to perform well for each other. And, um, you develop some skill sets around, well, how do I, how do I manage that pressure and still perform at a really high level? So, you know, we, we really look at, you know, how guys spend their time individually, but we also, you know, put them in situations where, um, you're feeling a little uncomfortable and you, and you find comfort in that discomfort. Right. And so you learn give us some excel. specific
0: examples of that. Cause I think that's a great topic and a lot of people, uh, need to pay more attention to that.
2: Yeah. So and you can do it individually. You can do it as a team. And like I said, I, I think the pressure of team golf is is a lot greater sometimes than even individual golf, because um, the example I'll use is if, you know, Brad and Mark, I said, hey, you guys go make um, five four footers in a row. You know, you guys could pick up whatever putter is sitting next to you and go do that right now. But if I said, OK, Brad and Mark and myself, we're going to go make 15 in a row our job is still the same. It's still those five, four footers, but you know, Brad, your, your, your fifth four footer could be the 15th in a row for the group. And is that going to be same, less, or greater pressure than just those, those five putts on your own? It's going to be a lot greater, right? So
0: for me, coach, it's going to be the same. Cause that baby's going in the back.
2: That was a bad example. Cause, cause, cause Brad is like a, just a stallion inside 10 feet. So
1: um, <laughs> you, you use me as the example, then That's... I'll
2: use Mark as the example. And <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be different. And we see guys respond differently when they have to, when they realize their performance is tied to someone else. And, um, and there are a lot of little things that we do. There's one drill we do. Um, you can go to, you can go to an ACE or Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, and you can pick up a yardstick and it's got a little hole on the end of it. Right. So you find a straight putt. It can be inside or outside. Excuse me. You set your ball on it, and you know it's it's a great drill for you know starting line and contact because if your alignment's off or you mishit the putt, it's coming off the ruler, you know some way, shape, or form. It is going to end up off that ruler before it rolls into the hole. But if you if you can get your contact down and your alignment down, which I I think we would all agree. Those are pretty critical things inside five feet. You know, I think more often than not people miss short putts just because they don't hit the center of the face. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great drill just for practice, but it's also an even better drill, I think for, um, you know, putting some pressure on the guys. So we have guys come in and, and we've got it right now to where they, they'll hit 18 putts. And we, we even set it up like it's a tee time. Like, Hey, Brian's coming in at one o'clock and Lorenzo's coming in at one thirty, And it's like, you got to get yourself ready for that competitive moment, and you come in and you hit 18 putts. We set a baseline as far as what we think a good kind of reach goal is, and then the guys come in and and you hit your 18 putts, and it's kind of a one or zero. Did we get it done as a group, uh, and did we not? And it it's as simple as um, you know we did in the off where. We typically do our strength training and conditioning sessions in the afternoon during our off season. Um, But Thursdays, the guys would come in and and, and hit their putts. And if we met our goal, great. And if we didn't, um, the, the lift on that Monday morning was at 6am and there's nothing less you would like to do after a weekend than to have to go, you know, drag yourself out of bed at 530 and go and go to the gym at 6 a.m. Um, but for me, if the team didn't get it done, that meant my workout was at five. And that's a good reminder to me that, you know, we're all on the same side. And if these guys don't get it done, then I did something wrong along the way. I've got to correct myself along the way to help them continue to get better. So that's just one example. Um, you know, there are, we we have a modified combine that we do now where, Um, you know, again, we, we, we figured out what our baseline level of performance was. And then we set a goal that was a little above that. And you just put in the appropriate, you know, rewards and consequences for getting it done or not getting it done. And, and I know that um, some people, you know, might not be a big fan of the carrot and stick, and it's not necessarily something I want to do all the time, because I think, you know just being intrinsically motivated to compete at a high level is is kind of the ultimate thing um but again we're trying to mimic the pressure of competition and we all three know that with that example i gave about the ruler if if the goal was 153 out of 162 which is our current goal right now and with nine guys you get one miss on the ruler that's that's high stakes and if you don't get it done none of us here wants to be the guy because if, if we only make 152 putts as a team, the first place everyone goes is they look at the board and they say who, they see who made the fewest amount of putts. And no one wants to be that guy. But those are the things you have to do to kind of almost, you know, create that kind of pressure. But it's the same kind of pressure you feel in a tournament. You know, if you're three over through five, you, you don't want to be the guy that, that doesn't count or ends up counting and he shot 77. And, um, so we've, that's something that's really evolved in our program. It's something I've always believed, but, you know, we, we have like the, the players now that, you know, they really want to be coached hard and pushed and, and they really want, you know, to be put in those situations because ultimately these guys want to perform at their best. And they understand that, um, they're really starting to understand that if we're going to do that, then we've got to put ourselves in some uncomfortable situations at at home to do it. there, there so you're you're
0: trying to basically reinforce the fact that you've got to get better every single day. And if you do that over a long period of time, you're going to see huge gains. Um, you're trying to always put them under pressure, whether it's individually or, or as a team, and you're holding them accountable. Is that pretty much summarized?
2: Yeah. You know, I, Mark knows I like to talk for a long time and uh, that. But you you basically put a bow tie on it. Is <laughs> I just think that I just think that you know, if you are really diligent about what you're doing every day, you know, you can get incrementally better. And it's almost imperceptible. Even if you have what feels like a bad practice, if you structured it appropriately, then you're still going to get that one-tenth of one percent better. You know, sometimes you dig with a shovel, sometimes you dig with a bulldozer, sometimes you dig with a spoon. But the common thing among all three of those things is that you're, you're still digging. You're still working toward whatever it is you want to accomplish. And, um, you know, there it's, there's nothing sexy about it. It's figuring out those handful of things that you got to do to get better. And then just having the discipline to be really, really consistent about it.
1: And Zach, I think, I think this is also an area for a lot of our listeners, let's say the high school or middle school golfer, or even some college players. I think this is an area that a lot of people could be doing a heck of a lot better on, especially high schoolers. I think when you watch most of them practice, I think that's they revert back into that comfort level that you talked about, um, and then all of a sudden they get to a tournament. And it feels very, very different than what they what the, what they've been preparing for. Um, so I think this is an area that most of these high schoolers could could drastically improve on.
2: Well, and here's the problem: is that we are the only sport that does not practice on our field of play. You know, you think about a driving range, you think about putting green. A putting green gets a little bit closer because you can take the flag out, or I mean, I guess now keep the flag in and hole your ball out but a driving range is not even close to hitting a tee shot on the golf course. And it, it's the equivalent of, you know, setting up a net in a parking lot and say, Hey, let's play tennis. It's you're going to get some reps in, but it's not the reps that you need to get better And a driving range. It just creates, it, it's an environment that is set up to practice. I think in a lot of ways, the wrong way. And so you, I don't entirely just, you know, blame the player because things are kind of set up. The deck's stacked up a little bit against you, but all it means is you just need to be more and that much more intentional about what you're doing um, to make sure that you're you're preparing in the right way for competition. Gotcha.
1: All right. Well, I want to shift a little bit towards recruiting now, Uh, and I'm going to go. The first question I've got for you actually uh, has a little bit involved with what you talked about with your coaching philosophy, but I want you to talk to, to us a little bit about creating a a program's culture and then also how that impacts uh you from a recruiting sense and also the players you're trying to recruit based off of that culture you're trying to create. Great question. Right.
2: Right. So, you know, I'm a I'm I'm a big believer that, you know, if you have rules, you follow or you break them. Um but standards are something that you have to live and it kind of spans across everything. And like I said earlier, I just believe that you can't compartmentalize competition. So how you do anything is is how you do everything. And it influences ultimately how you compete. So I think if you're talking about a culture, I mean, obviously, if you're the coach, you're kind of the one driving the culture. And um, so ultimately, it kind of comes down to what are the things that you really believe in and and um, and then uh, creating an environment where you you bring guys in and and over time, they believe those same things and then maybe uh, maybe there are more beliefs or more standards that are added because, Hey, this thing is missing and we feel like it's important, but, you know, ultimately there's, there's, there, there's a, you know, I guess, uh, some statements or some things that I really believe in. And that's kind of the foundation of our, of our program's culture. And, um, if you just remove the, you know, Hey, is this player just good enough skill wise to play at a high level? You know, the big thing is that Outside of that, it really has to be a fit with the culture because you can have um, you could have someone that could be an amazing player for you um, or be an amazing player in general. But if it's not quite a fit, you know, ultimately, like I tell our guys, like if you want to come play golf at Miami, you know, we really run things in a lot of ways like a team. And if and if being a part of and, and if being a part of something that's greater than yourself doesn't really match up with you it doesn't doesn't say anything bad about you it just means it's not going to be a fit with us so you know once i vet the golf side out then hey is it going to be a fit with our culture are they are they good with coming in and being held to a high standard academically outside of their golf and then also a high standard as your teammate cuz really there's three ways you can contribute to any program on course performance in the classroom and then just as a teammate you know creating good juju for your program or whatever you want to call it. And you've always got to be, you always have to be contributing in at least two areas. Now, ultimately, you know, performance matters. And if we just have guys contributing academically and as a team like that, that will be a little bit of a problem. But, you know, if I've done my job as a recruiter on the golf side, we're going to have guys that are going to contribute to us playing at a high level, but that is not the only thing you have got to be contributing elsewhere um, to really, enrich the program and make it, you know, the best version of this program that it can be. So, um, so just from a, from a culture side, that that's really what it is. You kind of set those standards and then you just have to be as consistent as you can. And um, you know what, you know, I I think people say, do as I say, not as I do. And that's BS. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's disingenuous and for guys to really buy into and believe what we're doing here, I have to live it as much as I can. You know, if we expect our guys to, to, to value how, you know, getting stronger, how getting faster, more speed, more mobility, how that can influence your game in a positive way. If I'm, you know, overweight and out of shape, then, you know, it's, do I really believe that? So I have to do my best that if I'm establishing or setting these standards for a team, I got to live them at the highest level. And, Um, I think from a recruiting side, just on the non golf side, that's, that's, that's how we view it at least.
1: Gotcha. And I think, I think you would agree a lot of those things that you're trying to do to create that culture are in many ways, maybe even more important than a lot of the golf aspect things.
2: Well, I think the, I think the, I think Mm -hmm. the bar, as far as talent that's needed to compete at a high level is a lot lower than people think. Now I don't get me wrong. Like you, you need to have a certain amount of skill. You need to have a certain amount of ability to really compete at a high level. But I think, I think that's a little overvalued as far as w- where that bar actually is. And we've had some guys that have come through here that, you know, yeah, maybe they were recruited by some high-level schools, but it was they weren't recruited too hard, and and um, you know they kind of. Uh, you know, it was like, this player is just not good enough to play at a, high, a really high level. And um, I think, I just think that bar is not quite as high as we think. Maybe it's, you know, just kind of my underdog chip on my shoulder mentality. Um, but I think that if if you meet that level of talent or skill, um, it really, the, the coachability and the, you know, really desire to get better to to get to the best version of yourself, that is what drives it. Because there are guys, we all know there are guys that, that want to get better and there are guys that have to get better. And we really go out of our way to try and bring guys in that have to get better. Because then for me, it's, it's more, um, kind of just helping to show them the way.
1: Yeah. That, that makes your job a heck of a lot easier as well. If you've got a group of guys that is, has that mentality that they have to get better, it's, uh, it's keeping you, it, it's letting you do your job and not having to do as much other stuff that's getting in the way. Right, right.
2: And then on the golf side, I know we haven't quite touched on that. You know, I think, like I said, the, the, the range is not really a transferable environment. So you could go watch someone hit balls. And, you know, I, I, I'm not playing a lot of golf right now. But if I go downstairs to our indoor room, within 15, 20 minutes, I could be hitting seven irons that would make it look like um, I'm playing at a decently high level. Zach, don't um, but, give us that.
1: You, we, we both know that you're already at a high level and that's, uh, that's the reason.
2: So, so anyway, so what, you know, but if you put a scorecard in my pocket and I got to go post something, it's going to be a lot different, right? So ultimately I, you know, golf is really about that ability to adapt. And when we're, when I'm out evaluating, um, player, It's, you know, what, how, how high is that skill set? How can, you know, maybe someone fundamentally isn't quite all the way there. And there are some things that I I look for that I do think are really important, even at, you know, that 14, 15, 16 year old level. Um, But, you know, what happens if they're playing in a lot of wind? You know, what happens if, you know, maybe someone, all they use is their 58 degree wedge around the green. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what if they get in a situation around the green where that club is not an option? How do they adapt? You know? Um, how do they handle a playing, uh, a competitor in their group that, you know, is frankly, maybe kind of a jerk and and a little bit of a distraction. How do they handle that? How do they handle having a bad day? Um, how do they handle other adverse conditions? Um, and then there's all those little shots on the golf course that I think give you some insight into how they take their kind of base fundamentals and adapt it to what's, to what's right in front of them. So, um, so from a, from a, you know, I guess a pure evaluation standpoint, I, I'm really looking at that, that ability to, to adapt and, and then just how they compete, you know. And, and if, you know, you have a guy that, you know, I thinking back to um, we recruited a player he, who, who recently graduated, Patrick Flavin, that was, you know, enormously successful at Miami. Um, every time I watched him play, You know, leading up to to recruiting him, he really didn't play that well. Um, But you could just tell the way that he competed that he was oh, whatever he shot was the very best he was going to shoot that day. And I think uh, um, you know of a couple other guys that we've recruited that you just watched them play, and maybe it was maybe it was sixty seven, maybe it was seventy six, but you knew that what they gave that day was everything that they have, and. That's a big deal to me, and that's a big deal in a team where, you know, if those other four guys know that, hey, this guy, he struggled a little bit. He shot 75, he shot 76 today, whatever it was, but I knew that he gave his very best. That's that's still contributing to the to the team. So
1: I think Patrick's a good person to bring up just because I think a lot of people that are listening can relate to Pat as a high school golfer. Um, Pat was obviously not the biggest kid, uh, still isn't, but I think you mentioned a couple <laughs> things. I think you mentioned a couple things about Pat, though, that sets him apart from other players. Uh, and just if, if people don't know Pat, Pat obviously um, was extremely successful in his time at Miami, uh, won the Illinois Open, Illinois AM, and at, what was it, four events that fall as well. Yeah, he won
2: four events in a row and, yeah, and then, eight, eight in his career. Yeah,
1: that's not all bad. And also, just recently won uh, the Q School event down in Brazil a few weeks ago. So he's been mm-hmm. extremely successful, both uh, in his time at Miami, then also at his, his short time playing professionally as well. Was there anything else in the recruiting process when you were watching Patrick that, that stood out about him as a player, or as a person that you kind of had that feeling that he was going to be uh, someone special?
2: Well, I. You know, the the thing that really sold it for me, and I've told this story before, is I remember he was playing in the, because I had watched him play, and like I said, he hadn't played great, but you could see that, you know, fundamentals overall were on a good track. His skill sets were, you know, kind of where they needed to be in improving. Um, he was a late bloomer. I mean, he was not even on junior golf scoreboard as sophomore year of high school, so he was, there were a lot of things trending in the right direction, but there wasn't that you know, quite that moment that said, Oh yeah, that's it. We got to have him." And then he, I remember he played in the, uh, he was playing the Illinois state junior and he shot something extraordinarily high the first day shot like 79 or 80 or 81, something not very good. And, um, and they had a bunch of weather delays and it was, um, it was, it was a little bit of a mess logistically, but he comes back and he finished like third or fourth. Um, he shot a handful under the last two rounds, but, he was scheduled the very next day to play a 36 hole qualifier for the U S junior in, in Michigan. And, um, you know, it, it, it would be really easy for a player in that situation who he, he played close to, you know, 25 to 30 holes on that Thursday and then had to get in the car and drive a handful of hours to go play 36 holes early the next day. And it'd be really easy to either just mail it in after the first round of the state junior, Oh, it's just not my year. Or if you gut it out and finish up well, um, maybe you just flat out withdraw from the qualifier. It's too much driving. I got to play 36 holes. I'm not going to make it. Or if you go there and you don't play well, it's well. I was really tired. You know, he makes that drive. He goes over and the next day he qualifies for the U.S. Junior. And, you know, one of the thing, a standard of ours is really to, you know, is to just not make excuses and to own what you say and do and, and find a way. And that was, that's a pretty awesome example of, Hey, I'm not in control of the circumstances but i can there are a lot of controllables that that are up to me so i'm going to handle those and we'll see what happens and and after that it's like you know that's that's the kind of person that that we need in our program and and um that class with with him and with brian Orr, who's in his fifth year has really been a foundation for how the the culture of our our program has shifted you know to that mentality
0: yeah i i think i've been fortunate enough to watch patrick play several times And I think the things that have stood out to me is that he absolutely loves the game. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. nothing he wants to do more than go out early in the morning, every single day and play golf and get better. He's a fierce competitor, but loves the game and just continually gets better. And that's the key. If you can find kids, in my opinion, that truly love it. I mean, a lot of people say they love it, but it's, it's rare when you really do. And that's, you, you just can't get enough of it. Um, and you're competitive and you've got some athletic ability you're going to get better and um he's a the shining example uh of that
1: brad i think that's a really great example because i had i had the pleasure of playing with him just a couple weeks ago along with with nick hardy who's obviously a very high level player as well and was an all-american in illinois and just even watching him compete against just nick one person not in a tournament uh even just for like a five dollar bet on 18 they had had a $5 bet just on 18 and just watching him compete with Nick and how just he gets in this mindset of just, he hates losing. Um, I think it's very easy to see a difference between him and his mentality versus some other players.
0: hundred
2: mm-hmm. percent. And that was with everything, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how, anyone that is really great at every, at something, you know, whether it's playing the violin or you're a hall of fame quarterback, or you're the best vascular surgeon in the world, like that kind of competitiveness, it's, it's pervasive in your life. And um, it can, it can maybe cross the line a little bit, but if you can kind of harness it and use it in a positive way, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing how those, high level performers. They're not just competitive in their sport. They're competitive. If they're, if they're playing, if they're playing gin or um, if they're, you know, playing a board game or, you know, just out on a run, it's like, I, you know, I want to do my best. I want to, I want to win at this thing. And, uh, and Pat's definitely an example of that. So.
0: Do you think that is innate? Are you born with that? Or can that be developed?
2: I'm a believer that it can, that, Innate Nate helps. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think over time it can be I really do think over time it can be developed. And I think that's where, you know, the culture of your program can step in and help bring the very best out of someone. Um, I know you guys had uh, Mike Small on a few weeks ago, and I've been very fortunate that we grew up in the same hometown and I've known him since I was about 14 or 15. And he's been an awesome mentor of mine. And and that's a, that's an awesome example of a program where the, the culture of that program will bring guys in that even, you know, even now that you may see someone come in as a freshman, it's like, wow, really? He, you know, that, that player was recruited by Illinois and they come in and they end up having a, a fantastic career. And it's, um, you know, maybe they didn't come in with that, that type of competitiveness or that kind of toughness or grit. Um, but over time it gets developed. So I'm a huge believer that you can, um, you can help develop or bring that out. Now, I do think that there are some people that may just not have the very raw goods to do it. I think that, um, you know, maybe someone it's not showing up, but they have it somewhere inside of them and you can help develop it. But, you know, there are those people that it's just, you know, that, that kind of competing is maybe just not quite their thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But I, I, I do. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what it is about, you know, my past or my upbringing. But I, I just, I really believe, and it's something that I, that we really believe as a program. You've just got to believe that anything is possible. That you can really, if if your work ethic, if your coachability, if your mentality's there, that you know, the only ceiling on what you can accomplish is what you really think you can accomplish. So I think it's something that can be developed. It takes work and it takes time and intention, but I do do think it can be brought out of someone, no doubt, in the right, in the right circumstances.
0: Hey, I want to transition quickly back to a question on recruiting. So when, I mean, you have a lot of people communicating with you, reaching out that are prospects in high school. What are some pet peeves that you see or, or things people should not do Um, or maybe some suggestions on how to best approach the recruiting process when they're communicating with the coach?
2: Well, you know, I'll focus on kind of what, what you ought to be doing. And, and I think first off, and and you guys do a great job of this is you really help set the expectation for, Hey, this is where you're at right now. And this is where it's likely you can go in the next few years. So these are the opportunities that are likely going to be in front of you. So it's good to have those reach schools, those places that, Hey, if I, if I really get going, maybe this will work out. But you also have to be, you know, somewhat realistic about where you're at right now and then what type of, you know, competitive opportunity is going to be in front of you. And then, you know, ownership's a big thing in our program. And, and I think that trickles down to the recruiting process. I think the, the player has to take ownership of that process and be proactive in reaching out to coaches. You're not uh, I would rather um, have someone over communicate with me than under communicate as a player as a, as a potential recruit. So, um, ultimate, and it's hard, it could be hard hearing that no, but that is the worst outcome that's going to happen is that a coach says, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate your interest, but this is where we're at and it's just not going to be a fit. That's, that's the worst outcome. So don't, don't be afraid of, of, you know, starting that communication. Um, and I think it's important that the parents are involved in the process as, as it relates to kind of helping, To guide and to provide advice. And I think it's, you know, I, I, you know, I, part of what we do on a visit is, is if someone visits our campus, you know, and we're serious about them being a part of our program, I have them spend time with our players over a meal. And while um, that recruit is with our players, I'm with the parents and answering the questions that, you know, they're going to feel more comfortable just asking me, just like that recruit is going to feel most comfortable asking players about. Um, so I think it's, it's important to educate. It's good that the parents get educated on what a program is about. Um, but I think they also need to empower their, their, their child to really take ownership of the process. Um, because ultimately when you get to a school and especially in our program, like we're really trying to develop self sufficiency and, um, there's a lot of guidance and a lot of mentoring, but there's not any handholding at Miami. And there's that's a subtle but very significant difference. And um if you see a parent that's really overtaking the communication and almost communicating on behalf of the recruit, that's frankly, that's a little bit of a red flag because you know that that recruit is going to end up being a member of a team somewhere. And Mom or Dad is not going to be readily available to take care of anything and everything. And that because you guys know, it's not just a change as far as leveling up with golf or with school. It's a huge, huge life change. And there are so many little things. And my parents, I have an, I have amazing parents and they did an incredible job raising me and my brothers and sister. Um, But going away to college was still a slap in the face. And um, when you don't see a recruit really taking ownership um, it's, it's a little bit of a sign of what might come down the road that, you know they're just they 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 have a hard time with that capability of like being able to take care of some of those little things themselves.
1: I think that's a lot of really great advice there, Zach. And that's uh, if I'm being completely transparent, I think uh, one thing I've stolen from you that when we're working with our players is is trying to see if we can get some time set up where our players can can either have some sort of meal or sit with some uh, some current players and and get some feedback from those players because I think uh, for the most part your current players. Give it pretty straight to the recruits that are on campus about how things are. Uh, maybe some information about you that you might not even tell them. But I think that's a great opportunity for, for both pe- both parties, if you will, to get a a good feeling for the actual program. Well, here's the thing: is I,
2: you know, I don't want to pull the wool over someone's eyes. You know, I want I want eyes wide open during the recruiting process, and and I'm very direct with our players. Like this is not a recruiting pitch. This is this is simply this is what it is to be a member of the golf team at Miami and the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And so that if someone we get to the end of the road and they say, yeah, I want to come play for coach Zedric and I want to come play at Miami, then they know exactly what they're getting into. And the great thing about that is that if they know what they're getting into, they are a hundred percent invested in that. And it doesn't mean everything is perfect. And it doesn't mean that every single box was checked, but it means that they are fully committed to being a part of the program. And I know we're not, you know, you know, Miami is not in the Power 5, but the great thing about college golf is that it's it's very democratic. Like the only time we see our conference opponents all of them together is at the end of the year. Outside of that, we can schedule however we want. So as we have continued to get better, it's allowed us to recruit little, you know, better players and it's allowed us to build a better schedule and you know the schedule we we have now and especially the schedule we're going to have next year like it's it's a high level schedule that's going to help um it's going to help guys get better um but um i guess the point i'm trying to make is like when they come in they know that okay i'm going to be pushed here i'm going to be i'm going to be coached and i'm going to be pushed <laughs> but i'm going to be around guys that that care about getting better and they're going to care about and they're going to care about me um and yeah there's you know there's some tough moments and there's some tough conversations and coaches pretty hard on us about some things and but you know, here's, here's all the other things that happen while you're at Miami too. Um, but I, I just, I, you know, it's almost like we de-recruit players a little bit. Um, I'd rather spook them and they're like, okay, like I'm good with that. Like, let's go rather than, um, you tell someone what they want to hear and then they get here and it's all of a sudden it's like, wow, this was not at all what I signed up for. It's certainly not, you know, and I, and I think a lot about what I went through during the recruiting process. Um, and I really try and put myself in the recruits, on the recruit side and be like, what would I want to know if I could go back today? And sometimes, you know, when you do tell that recruit like, Hey, I'm really sorry, it's just not going to be a fit. Like that's really hard news for them. But 99, 999 times out of a thousand, I will end up hearing, Hey, I just appreciate you being honest with me.
1: Yeah. You're not, not stringing them along at all. So one thing, uh, so that's a lot of great information for these, for these parents and also the players uh let's shift a little bit towards obviously you've been you've been playing for a long time you've been coaching for a little while now what are a couple good stories you've got for us i'm sure you've got oh, something man. just just don't include anything about me in it um <laughs> you what uh,
2: got all the good stories you were or player. my
0: son
1: <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs>
2: he's got some good stories too i'm sure
1: um yeah, we may we may have a few that you don't even know about but yeah
2: uh, i'm sure i'm sure um gosh you know there are so many uh God, there's so many moments that you share um, that you just can't with the team that are these funny moments that are
1: just they're not quite PG or PG thirteen, but um, it's amazing how it's amazing how many of those happen with college age boys, isn't it?
2: I it's crazy. I don't know how or why, but it just happens. (laughs) So um, you know, one I I do. I've kind of thought. You know, I remember um, it was actually my first year at Miami, and I started in like early early mid August. And, um, so it was a very much a whirlwind. Um, and, uh, there was a lot that, you know, that was kind of set up and left for me from a logistic standpoint. And, uh, I remember we were playing at Penn state and we got done and I had looked at our, you know, our original itinerary had us leaving at like eight o'clock. And, you know, if you're leaving happy Valley, like there isn't an airport very close. I think we were flying out of Harrisburg or something. I'm acting like, Hey, we've got all this time. Like we went to like Wendy's or something. We sat down, we had a meal, we were hanging out. And all of a sudden I'm I'm like, just looking, I'm bringing up on my phone um, the itinerary just to give one of our guys the confirmation number so that I can take the rental van back and they can kind of start the check-in process. And this email pops up, I completely missed it. They had changed, there was a schedule change and our flight outbound got, our flight to DC got bumped up like three or four hours. So we go from having three hours to having about like 35 minutes. And so we hammer it to the airport. Needless to say, we were not close to making it. And um, I looked at the clock and I was like, is there a penalty if we just drive to DC and try and make that flight? They're like, no, 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 no. So we hop in the van and we drove another like three hours or so to Washington DC. <laughs> and um, we made it and we got through security and security it um i can't remember i think it was jfk the security there is brutally long and we're kind of up against it and we we but we make it through and there was a five guys like right next to our gate we go through the line and uh brantley kushner it's a line that is still set in our program sits down takes a bite out of his burger he says hey we're laughing coach <laughs> And, um, anytime where there's a little bit of a stressful situation and, and we kind of get through it, everyone, someone will just say, ah, oh, we're laughing. Yep. And, I've heard uh, that quite a few times. Yep. Yeah. So, um, uh, but you know, I, I, think, you know, we, we just got back from a 10 day trip. Um, we played two tournaments in, um, uh, South Carolina and Arizona. We played at uh, Colleton river and then uh, desert mountain, two awesome facilities. And, you know, there's, uh, I'm a, I really, I think the best things that are accomplished in life are accomplished as a team or as a group, you know, or as a collective more than just anything you do on your own. And, um, you know, the process to trying to do great things is, is I think the fun of it. And I think it's what teaches you those life lessons that, you know, maybe you take on to professional golf, like Pat is, or like Brian's about ready to, or your son Jack did a few years ago, Brad. Um, Or you end up doing something else with your life. And, you know, just being able to share that trip with those guys, um, you know, there isn't like a necessarily like an overly like hilarious story that comes out of it. But we had a lot of fun. We got better on the trip. And um, you just you kind of it's an opportunity to get closer. And um, I think there are so many trips like that that happen um, I think those are that like that trip. And there's been several others as a player and as a coach where it's like, man, that was, it's awesome to be able to have that kind of time, um, with those guys at that particular time in their life.
1: Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, we, uh, we very much appreciate you taking some time out of your day to be on this podcast with us. We know you guys have some, some busy schedules this time of the year. So thank you so much for your time and, uh, providing our listeners with a bunch of really great information from practicing to recruiting and couple good stories at the end. So we appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you guys. And, and, uh, you guys are, you guys have it figured out and are doing it the right way. You guys are, uh, looking at, um, developing young players from, from a very holistic standpoint. Um, I think you guys are doing an awesome job and, and appreciate
0: what you're doing for, for the game. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate having you on. Yep. Take care guys. Thank you.